0: Welcome to Canyon Hills, and thank you for all of you who are joining us for our online live stream services this morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the adult pastors here, and it's just so great to be back here in fellowship with each and every one of you, and all of you joining us online as well, as we continue in our series this morning called The Next Step. And the title for my message today is called Standing Strong in the Face of Opposition. But before I get too far into it, I just want to make sure that we all start on the same page and understanding something really important. That whenever God leads you to something, or whenever God calls you to do something, to step out, to take a risk, a leap of faith, no matter what it is that could benefit yourself or make a difference in the lives of people around you, you should expect to face opposition. In fact, we should almost mark it on our calendars that whenever we're trying to do something good for the name of the Lord, that we're going to encounter some obstacles. And we actually see this played out all throughout Scripture. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, you see Adam and Eve. They simply wanted to walk in the garden with God, right? But what happened? The serpent came and led them astray. It distracted them from their focus of being with God. It was an obstacle presenting opposition. Or Moses... Moses was called to go and free God's people. But what happened? He encountered the Pharaoh who had a hardened heart and didn't want to let the people go. David wanted to establish a kingdom of power, of might, of strength, and hope. But what happened? He encountered a massive obstacle in Goliath in front of him. Or if we even look at the New Testament, Jesus is the perfect example of this. Jesus had Herod. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, demons, he had the devil, he had all these naysayers who were speaking out and criticizing him and everything that he was trying to do. It's all throughout scripture, no matter where we turn, and I think a lot of us can see that played out in our lives as well. And Nehemiah, who we're actually focusing the series around, he was no stranger to opposition as well. And we're going to see that played out in Nehemiah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. Or if you're joining us online, go ahead and take a moment to open up. If you have the exact same Bible as I do, it's page 425. uh, But odds of that are probably pretty slim. But nevertheless, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. And if you're joining us in this series for the very first time or online for the first time, don't worry, I'll kind of catch you up to speed. Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy. Just an ordinary guy like you and me, but he had a very unordinary job. He was a cupbearer, a servant to the king of Persia by the name of Artaxerxes. And the cupbearer had a very important job. And it was simply to drink of the cup before the king would to make sure that it wasn't poisoned or contaminated with some toxin that would eventually lead to his death. So an ordinary guy in a very important position. And being in the presence of the throne and all the time, I'm sure he heard reports of what was going on throughout the land. And so one day he hears this report that in his homeland, in his own town, Babylon came in and just destroyed it. They reduced it to rubble. All the walls, the gates, the homes, the marketplaces, everything was just demolished. People were killed and scattered out amongst the lands. It was a heartbreaking scene. And Nehemiah's heart dropped when he heard it. And maybe there was a hope inside of him that said, man, you know, I'm hoping that somebody in this royal room will rise up and say, hey, we need to go and act vengeance on Babylon for the destruction that they caused. Nehemiah was secretly probably hoping in his heart that somebody would stand up for his homeland, but nobody did. And so he thought, man, I'm just an ordinary guy, but maybe I'm the guy to do this job. So he prayed to God. He sought God's counsel and God said, yes. Yes. I want to use you, an ordinary guy, to do something extraordinary. So the next step was to go ask Artaxerxes for permission to leave. So he walks up and he talks to Artaxerxes, and we would imagine that he would say, absolutely not. You're far too important for me to let go. It would be like the Secret Service be given a day off by the president, and he goes to the mall and shops. He's vulnerable and exposed. It just wouldn't happen. But Artaxerxes hears this. His heart soft, and he says, Yes go. Not only that, our sets him up for success. He gives him resources. He gives him a whole bunch of things to help Nehemiah in the task at hand. So Nehemiah, in this amazing spiritual journey he has in chapters two and three, goes back to his homeland. He surveys the land and everything that's there, and it's overwhelming. It's just rubble upon rubble upon rubble. There's almost no hope of rebuilding it. But he says, I got to come up with a game plan. I've got to lay everything out so we know what to do. So he starts walking around surveying the land and says, okay, maybe if we start building up the gates, that'll give us some hope. And then if we build the walls around it, it'll make us feel protected so we can start building our lives inside again. So he starts making a survey and he starts noticing all the things in the land and he gathers a bunch of people together and they start this rebuilding process. And they start with the gates, the valley gate, the horse gate, the the fish gate, the sheep gate, the water gate, the dung gate, right? Pastor Alec made that joke last week that we would much rather live at the water gate than by the dung gate. Because that's just not fun for anyone, even if you're downwind of it. But nevertheless, they start by rebuilding these gates. And we think that Nehemiah would go and get the help of people who are skilled in masonry work or carpenters or builders. But no, he goes and he finds other ordinary people just like him. People who make jewelry, perfume makers, salesmen, merchants. And he gathers them together and he gives this empowerful speech and says, God is in our midst. God is moving and he has called us to rebuild this city. And how you can get perfume makers and jewelry makers to build these massive gates and walls is far beyond me. But he does it. And as they start working, eventually they stand back and they can see their progress as the walls get about halfway up and they start thinking, man, Maybe, just maybe, we can do this. We are able to rebuild our city. Things are looking up for the first time in a very long time. But as soon as you start making advancements in the name of the Lord, you can guarantee opposition is going to rear its ugly head. And that's exactly what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4. So let's take a look at this in verses 1 through 2. It says this. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Continues on, are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? See what's happening here? He's mocking them. He's insulting them. He's belittling them. And we miss out on it because our English translation does a terrible job of translating that word feeble. The Hebrew word for feeble is likened to a flower that's been cut off and is now dead. So he's coming and saying, you are lifeless. You are worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. You have no strength. You have no power. You're just a dead thing blowing in the wind. Who do you think you are? You're never going to accomplish anything. Those are hard words to hear. But then it gets worse. Tobiah the Ammonite steps up, and look what he says in verse 3. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. So first they're belittled, They're demoralized and now they're insulted. Yeah, the work that you think you're doing that's all powerful and great, a fox could jump on it and it would crumble under its weight. See what's happening here? There's advancement. There's forward progress being made. They're taking the next step that God had called them to take. And then opposition comes and it slows them down, almost stops them in their tracks. And I think maybe that's where some of us find ourselves this morning. We feel that God's been speaking to our lives. He's been calling us to take that next step, to do something amazing and wonderful. But then all of a sudden, opposition hits. And we don't know what to do. We feel pressured. We feel attacked. We feel overwhelmed. And we don't know how to respond. Maybe it was that you were so excited to come back to church for the very first time last week or join us online on our live stream service You were so excited because you're thinking, man, I'm tired of this COVID. I'm tired of this isolation. I just want to be in the presence of God and recommit my life. And it's just going to be a great Sunday. And then you get in the car and you have the worst fight of your life with someone in the car. Then you walk into church and you're not in the right headspace. Your heart's not right. And you're just sitting there singing words as routine, but your mind is somewhere else. You hit an obstacle and it's robbed you of that experience. Or maybe you're thinking, man, this is the year. I got the stimulus check. I'm going to declare victory over my debt so I can start giving to ministries and blessing the church and doing all these great things. I'm going to use that money, and it's just going to be great. I'm going to see God move through it. And as soon as you start writing that check, your air conditioning goes out, and it's 115 degrees outside. There goes your money. An obstacle has it, and it stopped you from doing what God may have been calling you to do. Or maybe God has said, hey, I want you to start something new. I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to give you a dream. I'm going to give you a passion, something in your life that I want you just to grab a hold of and run with. And you get so excited. You go and you tell the people closest to you, man, I want to do this. I feel God calling me to this. It's going to be great. And they just look at you and laugh. They say, you? No way. That's not going to happen. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You'll never have what it takes. And that's hard to hear. See, folks, the thing I hope that we all understand this morning and the reality of this is this. We shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. We shouldn't be surprised when we encounter obstacles when we take that step of faith and we do what it is that God has called us to do. When we declare victory in the name of the Lord because advancement invites opposition. That's the truth. Advancement invites opposition. And it's hard for us to deal with this sometimes. It's hard for us to recognize what this really looks like. And it comes from all different places, from all around us, even the people that are closest to us. But what do we know about the devil? We know that the devil doesn't bother with people who aren't a threat to him. If you're living your life the way that he wants you to live, doing the things he wants you to do, he could care less what you do or who you are. But the moment that you step out and you say, I'm going to choose to do something amazing for the Lord. I'm going to take the step of faith. I'm going to grab a hold of what God is calling me to do and run with it. Flags go up and he panics and he says, man, I got to do whatever it takes to stop the will of God from happening. And opposition comes. So we don't just face physical opposition, mental opposition. We even face spiritual opposition in our lives. And that's hard for a lot of us to really grapple with and to deal with and to push on. And this is a lot of what Nehemiah was dealing with here in scripture as said. But the point of the matter is this, no matter what opposition you face, God is still calling you to step up. God is still calling you to step up. He still wants you to take that next step. He says, know that there's going to be opposition. Know that there's going to be obstacles. Know that you're going to have critics. You're going to have bad people come up in your life, but continue to push forward. Continue to push forward, and I guarantee you, I will be there with you every step of the way, even when the critics and the naysayers come against you. So what do we do when the critics come and attack us? when people come and belittle us, when people try to make us doubt our ability and all these things? Well, I think we can learn from Nehemiah. The answer for the most part, we do nothing. We do nothing. This is what Nehemiah did. He heard these verbal attacks coming his way from Sambloth and Tobias, and he knew everything that was happening, but he chose not to respond. He chose not to sink to their level, to give in to their demands because he knew something important. He knew that the moment that he acknowledged his critics, he gave them power. But if you choose to rise above it and remain silent, you remove their power. You remove the influence that they have over you. And Nehemiah knew that, and that's why he chose to respond as he did. He says, I'm not going to sink to their level. Yeah, they can yell insults all they want. I don't care. Because I'm focused on what God has called me to do. I'm going to do what God has laid out before me, and I'm going to choose not to respond to them. Instead, I'm going to flip it around, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray instead, and so Nehemiah prays, and check out this prayer that he has. It is incredible. Let's take a look at this in verses four to five. I'm skipping a little bit ahead of my notes here, but it says this, hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads, and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity, do not forgive their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. See, this isn't how Jesus taught us to pray. <laughs> not at all. In fact, he could learn a thing or two from Jesus, but this whole turn the other cheek concept hadn't been written down yet. But he says, God, I don't have a place to stand here. It's not my Judgment. It's not my vindication here. You have a righteous judgment. God, stand up for your people. Fight for your people because we're going to continue to do what you have called us to do. Continue to stand strong in the midst of the critics that exist around us because we don't want to focus on them. We just want to do what you have entrusted us to do. This makes me think about my experience at Disneyland. When I worked at Disneyland, most cast members or ex-cast members would probably agree, dealing with critics is a daily, if not minute-by-minute encounter for most cast members, unfortunately. And as a lead, one of my jobs was to go and respond when cast members were having issues with people, specifically over something called height checks. Throughout the park, most attractions in the resort have a certain height requirement that you have to make in order to enter the attraction and even ride the attraction. It's not because we want to be mean. It's not because we want to single people out or isolate them. No, it pretty much comes down to safety. The resort and the operational safety and health department have said it's not safe for people who aren't this tall to ride this ride. But most people don't understand that. They just see somebody getting in the way of their happiness and ultimately their child's happiness. And it causes them to lash out. causes them to get angry, to get volatile, to get aggressive. And so usually at that point, the lead who's in charge of the attraction will get called out to kind of help diffuse the situation. So the majority of my job I would spend would be going out there and interacting with people who by the time I got there, they were already irate, fuming, super angry, have already been verbally threatening, physically assaulting the cast members, and it's my job to step in between them to protect my cast members. And so I would get there, and I would listen to their stories, listen to them talk about how moved they are and how they really want their child to ride this attraction. And they would almost demand, you know, I don't trust that person. Why don't you do it? Because you look like somebody who has power. And they're like, no, I don't. But they think that I've got power. So, I, you know, it's, I'm trying to appease them, say, okay, I'm going I'm to listen to you. So I'll watch as their child goes over, and I'll do the height check, and the kid tries to stand on their tiptoes to make themselves taller. I'm like, oh, that's cute, but no, it's not going to happen. You know, it's my job is to help influence. It's to help back and support my cast members. And then to tell them, unfortunately, your child, even standing on their tiptoes, is still not tall enough to ride this ride. And I know that sometimes there are these kids, so I look at them like, man, they probably would be perfectly fine on this attraction. I can see it. Yeah, they don't meet the height requirement, but everything else checks out. They probably could go. They'd be safe. You'd have a great time. But I can't say that. If I were to say that, it would just make them even more upset. Well, how come you say this, but everybody else says this, and why can't we still ride? And so my job is not to change their mind. My job in that moment is to do the job that I've been entrusted with, to do the responsibility that's been laid out before me. And I think that this really relates to our Christian faith because our goal as Christians, it's not to convert our critics. It's to do the will of God. Our goal is not to convert those who come and criticize us, to not try to change their mind. It's to look past it and to stay true and stay focused to what God has entrusted us to do. The work that God has laid out before us, to take that next step that he is calling you and that he is calling me to do every single day. And that's what Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah knew that he didn't respond to the people. He responded to God. Ultimately, it was God who influenced him, God who he was supporting. And he says, They can come and criticize me all they want. Opposition, yeah, it's a reality, but I'm going to stay focused on who God wants me to be in this moment and what God wants me to do. And it's difficult. It's difficult. But he stays focused and he prays and he says, God, My vengeance, it's not at hold here. It's not at stake here. God, you enact your vengeance. God, let their sins be cast back upon them, hurl their insults back at them. God, let them feel the wrath of your mighty vengeance in this moment. But as soon as he took his focus off of trying to respond and react to his critics, what happened? The wall started to get built. Look at this in the next verse in verse six. It says, so we built the wall. And the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a heart to work. You see what Nehemiah did? He saw the people criticizing him. He rose above it. He prayed to God, and then he got back to work. And what happened? The wall got built. Why? Because the people had a heart to work. They were focused on doing what God had called them to do. They weren't having to think of clever ways to be witty and attack them back. They weren't having to stoop down to their level. They weren't having to go on the offensive. No, they chose to rise above it and focus on God. And that's hard sometimes because sometimes the voice of the critics are very difficult when the critics come against us because it's not always outsiders. Sometimes it's the people who are closest to us that start criticizing us. And disagreeing and presenting opposition. The perfect example I can think is when there was some volatile unrest in Juarez. We have a sister church down there and we go and support and missions trips every year. And when Juarez was at the peak of the violence, there was a lot of people here who said, don't go. It's not safe. I can even attest to this because when I went for the first time, I had to renew my passport. And when I was getting my passport done, they were asking me questions. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Juarez. And she said, are you sure you want me to issue this? <laughs> And it's like, yes. Almost every single time, every person I talked to was like, War is why would you want to go to Juarez? But even in the midst of that, there was a lot of people in our community, in our church who said, it's not safe to go. Don't go. So we prayed as it, we prayed over it as a church. And we said, God is still calling us to be faithful. God is still calling us to go in spite of the violence, to do what he has called us to do. And so we went. And yeah, there was some opposition. Yeah, there was some criticism but we knew it's what God had called us to do. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He says, look, I know that God isn't calling me to listen to the opposition, to give in to them. He's calling me to stand. God's calling me to move forward, to take that next step, to do what I've been entrusted to do. And so he did it. He prayed and he moved on. He got to work. And as a result, the wall started getting built. But unfortunately, as soon as progress comes, what happens? Opposition comes back. Look at this in verses 7 through 10. It says, Now when Samuel, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites heard the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah, it was said, the strength of the labors is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the walls. They're saying, look, we're tired, Nehemiah. We've been pushing, we've been building. We're not skilled at this. We're just ordinary people trying to do what God has called us to do, but we're exhausted from doing it. Not only that, but it almost seems like we're under attack and the people are worried because when we look out, all we see is rubble. Yeah, we see a little bit of progress being made, but it's just rubble upon rubble and it's overwhelming. We don't believe that we have the strength to continue pushing forward, to continue on. If that wasn't bad enough, look what happens in the next verse, 11 through 12. It says, Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them Kill them and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. They're saying, Nehemiah, look, we've now heard reports that the enemy is coming. They're going to slaughter us and stop the work of God. So we've got to be on guard, we've got to be on defense. How are we supposed to stay on guard to protect ourselves, our families, our homes, all that we stand for, all that we believe in when there's this threat coming against us and continue to build the wall? We don't have it in us. We're not good enough to do this. See, folks, the truth of the matter is this. Yeah, we face external opposition. We face physical opposition. We face spiritual opposition. But there's one type of opposition I think that affects most of us more than any other kind. And it's our internal opposition. It's when our insecurities rise up and they say, we're not good enough. We can't do it. We don't have the strength. It pushes our focus off from God who gives us power and strength and redirects us to think that we do it in our own power. And it's hard to deal with that. It's hard to break free from those internal voices, those internal oppositions and almost insecurities that we have that exist in our life. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I think that there may be some of us out there who are listening more to our own internal insecurities than in who God is saying that we are, who God is calling us to be. And if I can be honest, realistically, gut-wrenching, that's me a lot of times. A lot of times I struggle with this voice that echoes and it haunts my soul that says, Matt, you're never going to be adequate. Matt, you're never going to be good enough. You can pour all the time, all the research you want into your messages, but you're still never going to make a difference. And that's why I work so hard. That's why I spend so much time trying to study, because I know that I represent God and I want to do justice. I want to do Him good. I want to do right by Him and speak His truth. But in the middle of that, I continually face this voice inside me that says it's not enough. You're not going to be good. You're always thinking ahead. And as I start to think, all of a sudden I find myself get distracted. And the further and further I move away from what God may be trying to speak to me through the message. See, folks, what I've come to realize as the truth, and I hope that you realize this as well, is that our external opposition, the obstacles that we face, will only be as loud as our internal insecurities allow them to be. Let me say that again because this needs to be the the hit-you-between-the-eyes point of this message this morning. Our external opposition, the criticism, the opposition, the obstacles that we face will only be as loud in our lives, have as much power as they do in our lives, as our internal insecurities allow them to be. When you see yourself reacting to a situation— whether it be verbal or writing on your social media pages or responding to something, you need to pause and look at the root of why you're responding the way that you are. Because I guarantee you, if you start searching deep enough, you're going to find there's something that's unsettled inside of yourself. An insecurity where you feel personally attacked and so it allows the voice, it allows the pressure from the opposition to get louder, to get more aggressive, to get bigger, and it causes you to react even deeper and even further as a result of it. But this is why we have to rise above it. We have to go beyond it. We can't look to the left. We can't look to the right. We've got to stay focused on God and do that which he has called us to do, regardless of whatever that may be, or whatever it is that he's calling you to do, because God is calling you to take that next step, maybe to pray, to invite, to forgive, to start. I don't know what it is, but God is calling you to do something, and he wants you to stay focused to quell those internal voices inside of you and push through to do what he has called you to do. And Nehemiah knew this because he could hear the people's hearts. He could hear the requests. And so he stands up and he speaks. And look what he speaks here. It's so cool. In verse 14, he says, "'When I saw their fear, "'I rose and I spoke to the nobles, "'the officials, the rest of the people. "'Do not be afraid of them. "'Remember the Lord who is great and awesome.'" And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What does Nehemiah do? He takes the focus off of himself. He puts it on God. He takes the focus off of his critics. And he puts it on God. Everything that he does, he points back to God. And then he reminds the people something so important. He says, this battle is not yours. The battle is already being fought by God. God is going to war for you. And I think what we really need to hear from that this morning and what's so cool as I was going through this and what really spoke to me the most here is this. The greater the opposition we face, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. The greater the opposition that we encounter in our life, the greater the opportunity for God to come and fight for you. The worse the rapport, the better the testimony because God's going to show up and he's going to show off. Because he's going to go to bat for you. He's going to fight for you. And that's what Nehemiah says. He says, you have no reason to be afraid of them. You have no reason to be afraid of your critics, of those who come against you. Why? Because God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Who can do anything to you? So remember the Lord your God and fight. Remember the Lord your God and declare victory over your debt and start doing amazing things in ministry. Remember the Lord your God and fight for your marriage. Fight for your children to find freedom in Christ. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Extend grace and mercy and love and kindness to all people, regardless of race, gender, who they vote for, what side they're on. Be who God has called you to be. But remember the midst of it, to stand up and know that God is for you, to push through the opposition, to look past it, because the reality is you're going to face it. You're going to face opposition, and sadly, I think a lot of us cower away from it, but here's the point. The point is this. If you're not ready to deal with the opposition that comes from being obedient to God, you're not ready to be used by God. If you're afraid of being criticized, if you're afraid of being attacked for who you believe in, for bearing your cross, for preaching the word, for making more and better disciples, you're not really in your heart ready to be used by God. That's why we need to pray every day, God, use us. God, equip us. God, speak to us. God, allow us to go. We need to be both practical and spiritual. Because I love that about Nehemiah. He was always practical and spiritual. He would pray like everything depended on God, but he would work like everything depended on him. I think some of us are a little bit more practical than we are spiritual, and we need to flip that. We need to say, God, I'm coming to you today. God, I pray that you use me, but we have to show up. God, I pray that you set the work before me, but we have to roll our sleeves up and get ready to work. God, I pray that you lay something before me to do, to give me a purpose and change my life, but we've got to bring our shovels and get ready to dig, to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. Because that's the truth. You're going to face opposition, and you have a choice to either cower away from it To give into it or to rise above it. To push through it and to do what God has called you to do. To take that next step that God has called you to take. And let me tell you folks, there's a lot of opportunities right now in the world we're facing to stand strong in the name of the Lord. To stand up for who you are as a Christian and what you believe in. And God is calling you to do that. So what do we do when we see something happening in this world that bothers us? That makes us upset. Well, first, as we've learned so far in this series, we sit down and we cry. We mourn. We feel the emotion of it. It's okay to cry. It's okay to process those feelings because it impacts us. It hurts us. Then we kneel and we pray. We surrender it over to God and say, God, this is yours. God, tell us what to do. God, we give this moment to you. And then we stand up and we act. We get back to work we push through the criticism, we push through the opposition, and we do the work that God has called us to do. Because he is calling each and every one of you to do something today. I don't know what it is. Maybe this week there's been something in your heart that you've just felt God saying, hey, I think you should try this. But you've been afraid. Or you've heard criticism, or you've seen the obstacles rise their ugly heads up. God is saying, don't give up. Push through. Trust in me. Have faith in me. Build one brick at a time if you have to, day by day, moment by moment, minute by minute. Because if you remain faithful to the work that I have entrusted you with, I'm going to remain faithful to you. But I'm going to show up every single time. I'm going to go to bat for you. So the question is, are you willing to take that next step that God is calling you to take? Are you willing to rise above the opposition or are you going to give in to it? Because there's a lot of opportunity around us right now There's so much unrest that exists that when I look at social media feeds, I see a lot of people in this world who are giving into the criticism, who are going on the defense rather than fighting for what they know is right and standing for what they believe in in Jesus Christ. Speaking his truth and not lashing out out of anger or out of something from our personal insecurities that are causing us to respond. Are you ready and are you willing to be used by God? If you are, then you got to rise above it, push through it, and take that next step that God has called you to take. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we know that you give us strength. God, we know that you give us the power to rebuild the walls in our lives, the gates in our lives, Father. We can be used by you. God, we pray that you don't let the voice or the power of opposition come against us to stop us or slow us down, deter us, or distract us, Father. Father, Because, Father, greater is he that is in you than is in this world. God, we know that if we seek you faithfully, God, that you give us vision, God, that you give us plans, that you inspire us to move forward. God, I pray that we don't grow weary in doing good because we know that you promise that in time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So, Father, I pray that we don't give up. When the opposition when the obstacles, the criticism, the naysayers, the doubters come against us, Father, that we just continue to push forward being who you have called us to be, doing what you have called us to do, Father, to take that next step and to faithfully serve you in all that we do. We love you, Father. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.